super loud. Maybe just for me. Um, so it's officially the third Sunday of Advent. Uh, and do you know what I think I am missing most? Uh, Jeff caught me on Facebook just about uh, five minutes before the sermon started, and he caught me liking the thing that I am missing most, which is holiday cookies. Uh, holiday cookies and holiday baking. Uh, honestly, churches are where you find some of the best holiday cookies. Some of the best Christmas cookies are found in churches. And I'll say especially Baptist churches. I don't know, there's, there's this thing about Baptist churches. Christians are nice and all, and we're all supposed to be, we're supposed to be nice. And, but there's this underwriting secret world of Baptist baking that I want to talk about. There's this food network where if one person bakes really great food, everyone else is secretly out to also bake at least that good, if not maybe a little bit better. The next time we go for food that everyone will say, well, these were a little bit better. It's true for cookies, it's true for Swedish meatballs, and it's true for, of course, the various forms of macaroni. I mean, if it wasn't true, how else could we explain that at any given Baptist potluck, you will find no less than six to eight different crockpots full of Swedish meatballs. And secretly, we all want to be towards the front of the potluck lineup. That way, we know ours will get taken. And if we have an empty crockpot, we go home full. Like, yes, mine, we're good. People went for seconds and thirds. And so secretly, there's this, this under-network where we're competing. And so without most potlucks and without Christmas dinners and without coffee hour after church, I've been a miss of holiday cookies. Uh, I've been missing all those holiday cookies. And so I thought about trying to make some myself. I thought about maybe I'll just make my own holiday cookies. But the problem is that I don't bake very well. If there was a way to do them on the barbecue, I would be fine. I could do that. If there was a way to cook these in a cast iron frying pan, again, I think I could handle that. But if you want me to put something in the oven, unless it's a delicio pizza, we're out of luck. Because I don't know how to use that very well. But nonetheless, I thought, you know what? Maybe this will be the year. I'll give it a shot. Uh, I might try my hand at making some Christmas cookies and see if I can burn a batch or seven. And so as I've been thinking about baking cookies, I've been looking up recipes. I've been looking recipes and ingredients. And I've noticed that some are very easy. Some are titled like no-bake holiday cookies or two-ingredient holiday cookies or, you know, ten-minute holiday cookies. And those are very appealing. And some are a little bit more confusing, a little more intricate. Some are like, you know, this takes three days to prepare. Uh, this, you can only find this one secret ingredient in Thailand, so you have to fly there to get it. And so those ones are a little bit less appealing for me in terms of baking. But I'm left wondering, as I look at all of these holiday recipes, I'm left wondering, what recipe is the best one? What recipe is going to make the best cookies? What's the best recipe? And that's probably a question that we've all asked at some point in our life. What is the best recipe? Or what is the recipe? Especially when it comes to cooking, we likely ask that question a lot. Uh, Ryan made me some homemade hot sauce recently. He's made two batches so far. And he made me some homemade hot sauce because I love hot sauce and I put it on absolutely everything that I can. Uh, if it wouldn't taste awful, I'd probably put it in my cereal. But I put it on everything. And Ryan and I share that love of hot sauce. And so he was making some and he thought, I'll, I'll give some to Luke. He loves it. And so he made me a few batches. And my question was, like, what was your recipe? Like, how did you make this? What is in this? Why is it, you know, so good? I was curious what made his hot sauce so good. When we taste something we like, when we, when we taste something that we enjoy, we want to know how to reproduce that. Or we want to know how to replicate that. And it's true for not just things that we taste, but it's true for other things as well. When we see something that we enjoy, or when we, when we hear something that we enjoy, we want to know the recipe or how it was made so that we can reproduce that thing. We can reproduce that joy that it made inside of us. And so what about just joy in general? What is the recipe for joy? 
It's Christmas, so joy is something that we are talking about a lot these days. Uh, everyone talks about joy at Christmas. Uh, I know some people that just riddle with what they call Christmas joy. Uh, my wife is one of those people that just riddles Christmas joy. We went to see lights earlier this week. Uh, we went to see some uh, lights over on like, California Avenue, somewhere that way. And so we went, and, and on the way we had to stop so that we could get candy cane hot chocolates because we couldn't enjoy lights without candy cane hot chocolates. And on the way we listened to Christmas music because we have to listen to Christmas music on the way to the Christmas lights. And when we were there, the light show was synced up to music. Uh, and and we, were, we pretended that we were there for Elijah, who was asleep in the back seat. But we were really there for my wife, who sat in the front seat, eye-locked at these Christmas lights the entire time. She just stared. I was busy on my phone playing games and, and videotaping it and such. But she was just staring for this whole time. You know, uh, Friday night, we, we made this 40-minute drive to Hamilton uh, because the, my parents' church put on a live drive-through nativity scene. Uh, and we weren't going to go because I didn't really want to go. But then my wife found out that, that my mom had a goat in this drive through nativity scene. And so we had to go because there was not just Christmas lights and, and, and the nativity scene, but my mom had a goat. So we had to go see my mom with this goat in the Christmas story. And so there, my, my wife exudes Christmas joy. I come home all the time from, from the office, and she is dancing around to Christmas music and cleaning and singing Christmas songs Elijah. And it's one of those things. She just has Christmas joy. And so how do we get joy like that, Christmas joy, and I'm sure you might know someone, or perhaps you are someone who has this Christmas joy, how do we get joy like that year-round? How do we get joy all the time? How do we get that kind of joy? Maybe you know someone who exudes that kind of joy, who it doesn't matter what life throws at them, they are a joyful person. They just have joy. So how do we get that? What's the recipe for joy? Now, there are a lot of different recipes for joy. If you, if you try to figure out what is the recipe for joy, there's lots of different recipes out there, depending on who you ask. Uh, some will tell you that if you have all of your family and all of your friends over to your house, and you combine the right people with the right snacks and the right bottle of wine, that will be joy. You will have a joyous evening, and you will have real joy. Well, that's impossible to do this year. We can't have people over to our house to end snacks and games. We can't do those things. So perhaps we have to try another recipe for joy. And so some might say that if you get just the right people, just the right gifts, then you'll have true joy. So if, if you give the perfect gift, or you give and receive the perfect gift, then you will have true joy. And now see, that seems like a tough way to find lasting joy, because if it's not perfect joy, then they're going to run out on Boxing Day and buy themselves the better joy. They're going to buy themselves the better gift or the perfect gift. They're going to exchange it for a better gift. So if it's not gifts and it's not get-togethers, then where do we find real joy? Where do you find true joy? Well, I honestly think that I found a good answer. I might have found the real answer, in fact. I'm going to share it, but you can't tell anyone. You, you can't show anyone. You can't tell anyone about where I found the secret place to find joy. Uh, and because if you tell everyone, then everyone will know about it, and everyone will go there, and then everyone, it will be this big thing. It'll become one of those big things that everyone knows about. But from what I know of this thing, it's, it's, it's kind of a secret, and not everyone knows about this. So I found an ad for this place where you can get real joy. And so uh, just we'll, we'll watch this ad, but you've got to keep it to yourself. So go ahead and, Ryan, play the ad. Friends, I've been out there, and the people, they need some holiday cheer. It's your time to shine. You've got to cuddle your way into their arms, their hearts, until there's a smile on every face. So, who's in?
begins. <laughs> so obviously Walmart, I don't actually think, is where you will find real joy or where true joy begins. And so where should we find real joy or true joy or where do we find? If Walmart was where, then I would say, like, like I'm sold. Let's all take this party over to Walmart and find ourselves some joy. Uh, we'll ask the associate what aisle it's in. But that's just not the case. And so if big dinners... Walmart, shopping, gifts, if those things aren't where we find real joy, then where do we find real joy? So today I think we find the recipe for joy in our scripture for today. Today we're talking about Mary's song, or the Magnificat. She shares with us in this song, or in this Christmas carol, uh, the recipe for real joy, and I think it's a pretty good recipe. Now, we have to remember that Mary wasn't surrounded by iPhones, she wasn't around, surrounded by Google cameras or Alexas. She didn't have the newest PS5 or the newest Xbox, and she certainly didn't have turkey dinners or anything like that. And I don't know for certain, but I'm fairly sure Bethlehem did not have a Walmart. So where did she find her joy? Where was her recipe for joy? So I'm going to read Luke uh, chapter 1, verses 46 to 55. And today my prayer is that you will find this joy that Mary speaks of. You will find this joy in a very tough holiday season this year, and that you will be someone who radiates joy for everyone else to see. And so we're going to read Luke 1, 46 to 55. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised to our ancestors. Now, perhaps in there, you've already picked out what recipe uh, Mary says is the best recipe for joy or where to find real joy, but I'm going to share it with you. But before I do, I'm just going to give a little bit of context to the situation or where we find this song. So Mary has just received the news from the angel that she is going to give birth to Messiah. She's going to give birth to the Messiah. She's also heard that one of her relatives, Elizabeth, who's already well into her years, who's already older, that she is also pregnant. So she's heard about her Aunt Elizabeth, or her, her relative Elizabeth, is, is pregnant. And so she goes to visit her relative. She goes to visit her. Uh, because that's a normal thing that I feel you might do. As an as a unwed, young teenage girl who was betrothed, or is betrothed, and is all of a sudden pregnant, you find out that your relative, who's well into their years and shouldn't be able to get pregnant, just got pregnant, you probably want to go and have a bit of an ally. Perhaps go to, to have some discussion, someone to talk to about this supernatural thing that has just happened. And so she goes to visit her relative. And the moment they meet, it says the baby that's in Elizabeth, the baby leaps in her womb. Literally, the baby inside her recognizes who has just come to greet them. And the baby inside Elizabeth, it says, jumps for joy. Baby jumps for joy. And at this point, the Holy Spirit fills Mary and she brings home this awesome Christmas carol or this Christmas song called the Magnificat. And so in it, we find the recipe for joy. And so I'm going to share it with you. And the first ingredient, I think the first ingredient that we see, and it comes up quite often, is humility. Humility is the first ingredient in a recipe for joy, in our recipe for joy. So humility is something that we see in this song, or Mary's song, quite often. We see it first in verse 48, where Mary says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. 
Right before this, right before she says that, she says her soul magnifies the Lord and her spirit rejoices in God her Savior. So she says she magnifies, or another word for praises, she praises God, and in her spirit she has true joy in God her Savior, even in her lowly state, or even in her low state. That's really important. She's, she's already finding joy in God, her Savior. And in this, in this little part here, do you see what she calls herself? She refers to herself as two things. So the first thing she says, she calls herself a sinner. In verse 47, she calls God her Savior. She says, God, my Savior. And that's really important because only sinners need a Savior. So by calling God her Savior, she's recognizing that she's not perfect. She is broken and sinful just like the rest of us. That she is recognizing that as a sinner, she stands in constant need of God's grace. So she recognized that she needs God's grace. She needs a savior. And the second thing that she comes herself, or she calls herself, she calls herself a servant. She says she is a humble servant, is what she says. The humble or the low state of her servant. She knows that she has done nothing to be worthy of this great blessing that God is bestowing on her. She didn't do anything particularly special to deserve the honor that she was about to get, or she is about to get. She says that all generations will call her blessed. She says all future generations will call me blessed. So she knows that what is happening in her life is a great honor, is a great blessing that God is bestowing upon her. And she knows that she didn't do anything to deserve this on her own. She didn't, she didn't work her way towards this great blessing. She's humble. She exudes humility. She knows that she's not a king, or I, I guess a queen, I should say. She's not a queen. She's not a princess. She's not the daughter of someone very important. She's not particularly wealthy. She's a little teenage girl in a small town with hardly any importance before this at all. She knows that the world absolutely does not revolve around her. In verse 52, humility comes up again. In verses 51 and 52, it says, He has shown strength in his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones. The message version of this part says, He's bared his arm and showed his strength. He's scattered the bluffing braggarts, and he knocked tyrants off their high horses. It gives this image that I, I really enjoy of, of God just like rolling up his sleeves and giving like one of these, like a big old bicep flex, and just scares away all the proud and the arrogant. They just see his, his pipes and they're like, whoa, I don't want anything to do with that. And so the proud are humbled, but what did he do to the humble? Well, it says he exalted those of humble estate. He's filled the hungry with good things. So God lifted up the humble. He lifted up the humble. He, he humbled the proud, these people who put themselves on his high horse. He humbled them and brought them down. And the people that had humility, he lifted them up. The message version of this says, and he pulls victims out of the mud. He pulled the victims out of the mud, and the starving poor sat down to a great banquet. God has lifted up the humble. He lifts up the humble, and he brings down the prideful. So humility is key in our recipe for joy. We have to be humble people. We have to have humility. But see, I think humility is something that we struggle with a lot in our society, especially in Western culture and Western society. And I think it's because everywhere we go, we are told that the world revolves around us. The world revolves around you. The world exists to please you. The world exists for your happiness. The world exists to serve you. You deserve the best. You deserve the world. You deserve the most important everything. You know, you deserve the best car, the best house, the, the best vacation, the best Axe body spray. You deserve the best job, the best husband or the best wife. You deserve the best food, the best everything. You deserve the best. I deserve the best is, is an attitude that a lot in our culture have. We deserve the best, or I deserve the best. 
And that's just pride, plain and simple. That's pride, this thought that you are so important, you deserve the best. And to some degree, maybe not to that extreme of a degree, but to some degree, we all struggle with pride because we all believe we deserve better. If something unfair happens, we deserve better, or I deserve better than this, or I deserve the best. The truth is, is that we don't deserve any of those things on that list. We don't deserve the best everything. The truth is that we are all broken, sinful people. We all have all kinds of weaknesses. We all have shortcomings. We all have failures. We all have places where we have fallen down short. Even in our thoughts, if we're honest with ourselves, we sin in our very thoughts. When you're driving on the highway and someone cuts you off and you think that thing in your head, you know, that's sin. When, when your husband or your wife says something and, and inside your head you have the best retort and you're like, ooh, I should say that, it would be scathing. Well, we shouldn't do that. And we know that we all fall down and we all fall short. We all have these things. If we're honest with ourselves and we take an authentic look at our lives, we will see just how short we fall. Time and time again, we don't live up to the standard that God has set for us. And because of that, we stand in constant need of God's grace. We stand in constant need of his grace and his forgiveness. But we don't see that sometimes. We don't see just how much we need his grace because we're caught up in our pride. We think, well, we can do it on our own. That's a prideful thing to think, that you can do this on your own. And so we don't see how much we need God's grace because we're so caught up in our pride sometimes. Colin Smith wrote, Pride closes the door to spiritual growth, but humility opens the door of your life to more of God's grace. And says, pause for a moment to ponder this promise and let it sink in. God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to the humble. See, God shows his grace to the humble. He pours his grace out on the humble. But like in Mary's song we see, for the prideful, he knocks off their high horses. He brings you down. He, he lowers you. Uh, Meister Eckhart wrote, when, my, when man humbles himself, God cannot restrain his mercy. He must come down and he pours out his grace into the humble man. And he gives himself most of all and all at once to the least of all. He gives himself most of all and all at once to the least of all. So he gives himself to the humble. He gives himself to the humble. St. Benedict once said, the way of ascending is humility, and the way of descending is pride. It's a pretty clear way of putting it. So the way of ascending is humility, and the way of descending is pride. So humility is key then. Humility is key in our lives. If we want to have joy, we need humility. And I think sometimes, though this is just an aside, I think sometimes we don't really understand what the word humility means. I think sometimes we mix humility up with other terms, like maybe meekness or even weakness. We think to be humble is, is to be weak. And, and that's not necessarily what humility is, and that's not what humility uh, or defined is. Uh, David Wilkerson says, a humble person is not one who thinks little of himself, one who hangs his head and walks around saying, I'm nothing, but rather a humble person, he is one who depends wholly on the Lord for everything, in every circumstance. So humility is not just thinking so low and thinking you're terrible and thinking all these negative things and walking around with this really sad state. Humility is just recognizing that without God, you have nothing. And without God, you are nothing. So humility is an utter and holy dependence on God for everything. So humility says, I can't do this on my own. I need God. Whereas pride says, I can do this on my own. I don't need God. So humility is the first ingredient for our recipe for joy. So to be humble or to be humility is, to, is to, to be part of our recipe for joy. And our second ingredient in this recipe for joy is mercy. Second ingredient is mercy. We see this part or we see mercy in the first half, or sorry, in the last half of verse 48. Mary says, For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done 
great things for me. He who is mighty has done great things for me. Mary says, God has done great things for me. God has shown me a love, a blessing. He has shown me something that I did not do anything on my own to deserve. And in verse 50, she says it. She says, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. So God's mercy, his love, she says, I didn't do anything to deserve this, but he poured his mercy out on me and he bestowed me this great honor. God took an ordinary teenage girl, a peasant, and he showed her such love that all generations from then on would look at her and called her blessed. He sent the savior of the world, his son, to be born through her. The mercy that God had shown through Mary, who didn't do anything to deserve that, who was a sinner and recognized it, the mercy that God had shown by sending that blessing wasn't just for Mary, though. She points it out in the final part of her song in verse 54. She says, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever ago. So he has spoke or he has helped his servant Israel. He remembered the mercy that he promised he would show. God promised to show mercy, to extend love to Israel, to care for them. And this son that was coming through Mary, this son, Jesus, God's son, this is part of God's plan to show mercy. This was part of God's plan to show mercy. Mercy, I was looking it up, I said, mercy is so easy to talk about, sometimes it's hard to define. How do we define mercy? When we say this is mercy, are we defining it well? And I think I saw one of the greatest definitions where it says, mercy is compassion, love, or forgiveness shown towards someone when it is within that person's power to harm or punish the other person. So mercy is when, when I show love or compassion or forgiveness towards Jesse, when it's really within my power to harm or punish him. That's mercy, right? A judge that extends mercy to a prisoner when it was within that judge's power to harm or punish that prisoner, that's mercy. And so when we talk about mercy, we recognize that it's within God's right as creator, as holy, as perfect, as, as God. It's within his right to punish us humans, us, us sinful humans that don't live according to the, can, the standards and the commands that he set forth. It's within his right to punish us. But instead, he shows mercy. Instead of the punishment that we deserved, instead of the punishment that Mary deserved, he shows mercy, he shows love, he shows compassion. Instead of punishment, he sent his son Jesus into the world to bear the weight of our punishment. So the mighty God, the one who created the entire world, the one who created everything, instead of just wrecking us sinful beings and punishing us all the time because we do terrible things, he sends his son to die for us. Instead of giving us what we deserve, he shows mercy and sends us Jesus to die for us so that we could have a relationship with him. Think about how much that means. Think about the level of love that it would take for someone to do that for you. The level of love that it takes for, for him to send his son to die and bear our punishment or the weight of our punishment. To send his son to die for the punishment that you and I deserved. To send his son knowing that we would mock him, we would ridicule him, we would torture him, reject him, and hang him on a cross eventually. We would do all of that. And God willingly sends his son all so that he would take away our sin and that we could have relationship with him, so that we could commune with him. James Scudder said, grace is undeserved mercy. Undeserved mercy, that's grace. That's God's mercy. That's his mercy for you, and that's his mercy for me. So our recipe for joy is to have humility and to recognize God's mercy. That's where our simple recipe, two recipes, that's the kind of baking that I can get on board with because it'll be much harder to screw that up. See, good recipes are sometimes hard to find, and they're sometimes even harder to follow, but this recipe is an easy recipe. This recipe is easy to find, and it is even easier to follow. 
Mary's recipe for joy was simple. It's one part humility mixed with one part mercy, and all of that is wrapped up together in God's glorious grace. That's the recipe for joy. Real joy we find in God. Real joy we find in his son who entered the world through Mary and who hung on a cross for us. Real joy we find in Jesus, in nowhere else. You don't find that joy in anyone or anything else. You won't find it wrapped up under the Christmas tree on December 25th. You won't find it on your second or your third plate of cookies, I've looked. You won't find it at Walmart, and you certainly won't find it on Amazon. Real joy is only found in Jesus Christ. Real joy is only found in God. And so this week, this Advent season, I pray that you would get rid of the gifts. You would not focus on the gifts. You wouldn't focus on the get-togethers. You don't focus on all of those things that are missing, all those things that are different. But instead, you focus on the joy that we can find in Jesus Christ, where we find our real joy. Let's pray. God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Lord, thank you that, that you sent him for us. You sent him as an example of your grace and your mercy. You sent him that he would, he would bear the weight of the punishment that we deserved, Father, so that we could have a relationship with you. Lord, in a season that is full of gifts, that is full of dinners, that is full of all kinds of other excitement, may we forget all of that and may we instead find our joy in you. May we look to you, Jesus, and may we find real joy, lasting joy, eternal joy in you. May you be the source of all of our joy in everything that we do. And Father, may that joy that comes from you, may that overflow through us. In a season where many are struggling, where many feel lonely or abandoned or feel like just things aren't the same, may, they, may the joy that we get from you, may that overflow and people see that. And God, may that point to you. May we be able to say to others, well, this is where I found my joy in Jesus. And God, may others come to find their joy in you this season as well. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.